Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And today we are joined by one of the smartest humans I have ever had the pleasure of knowing, Dr. Eric Foreman. Dr. Foreman is my baby daddy number two, as I like to say. So he is our fertility doctor and someone that I not only personally trusted so much, but have also recommended to so many when they're trying to start a family and struggling to get pregnant. Dr. Foreman is the medical and laboratory director of Columbia University Fertility Center. He oversees the medical practices as well as the IVF embryology laboratories. He also actively sees patients with infertility and those seeking to preserve their fertility, which is what we're talking about in today's episode. Dr. Foreman has extensive clinical and laboratory research experience. He has published more than 40 articles in peer-reviewed journals on a wide range of topics in assisted reproductive technology. He is truly the physician patients dream of. He customizes fertility treatment for each of his patients. He gets to know them, and he is truly the most responsive healthcare practitioner I have ever had the honor of seeing. This is also Dr. Foreman's second time on the podcast, so definitely listen back to episode 35 for Fertility 101 and what to know about fertility treatment in general. In this episode, we are chatting all things egg and embryo freezing. This is a hot topic right now, and the episode is going to break it down for you and answer anything and everything you need to know. I cannot wait to hear what you think of this episode. Let Dr. Foreman and I know when you're listening and any questions or thoughts that you may have. And as always, if you have a hot second to rate and review the podcast, that'd be so incredibly appreciated. Now let's dive into today's episode. So Dr. Eric Foreman, round two. On just the good stuff yeah. podcast. When I posted that you were coming, um, like on my Instagram stories, the amount of families that were like, "I go to Doctor Foreman now. He's amazing." Like you have, you have like groupies. People love you. You're amazing, and I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with our listeners again because I trust nobody more than you when it comes to creating a family and. You know, in our last episode, we did more of like a Q&A about fertility treatment and infertility in general. And on the top for the topic for this podcast, I really want to hone in on the egg freezing process because, you know, we're I'm in my almost mid 30s. I have friends that either like aren't married or they don't want kids soon. And it's a hot topic. Like, should I freeze my eggs? And I, I mean, I personally don't know fully what it entails entails because mm-hmm. I never did this process. So I'd love to kick it off and have you kind of break it all down. I'd love to have you break yeah, it down yeah, for us yeah, and definitely. to kick it off. How do you know if you are a good candidate to freeze your eggs? All right. Well, first, I just want to thank you for that you know, nice introduction, Rachel. And let's say you, you also have groupies, um, so many of your followers, you know, I think are inspired by you being willing to share your story, which, you know, a lot of people don't do and that that's okay also, but those that are, you know, brave and open, it really inspires others to know that, you know, they're not alone. And if they are persistent, they often can overcome. And I know, you know, you at times, you know, worried about ever being able to have a child and now have three healthy children, which is amazing. So yeah, I want to thank you for, you know, sharing your story and raising awareness about infertility and trying to normalize, you know, the process as much as possible. And everyone's, you know, everyone's path is unique and individual. And that's what we here at Columbia University Fertility Center really pride ourselves on that, you know, we take the time to get to know our patients and figure out what their goals and fears are and try to 
come up with a strategy that, you know, works best for them. And so, yeah, we can talk more about, you know, different kinds of, you know, options and patients and strategies, but, but egg freezing is definitely a topic that's hot and it's becoming, you know, more used and more talked about. I have a lot of thoughts on it, like, like a lot of things in this field. Um, one, you know, I think the term egg freezing is used a lot, but, you know, I think more about fertility preservation or just sort of family goal planning. And when I see a single, you know, patient or a couple, you know, egg freezing is one of several options when thinking about like building and planning your family. So although that's the one that you hear about a lot, it's in the media, when someone comes in, you know, and is even if they think they're a great candidate for egg freezing, I always like to discuss other options that are out there, which may or may not be a good fit, but, you know, often we do wind up coming back to egg freezing. You know, in terms of who is a good candidate, I mean, I think anyone that's thinking about it, like those scenarios you mentioned, those are good candidates to at least see a reproductive endocrinologist, a fertility specialist like like me and many others in the area and around the country to at least explore this possibility. And there are some in this field who think that like every woman should freeze her eggs. I'm not, I'm not convinced of that yet. But um, again, I think anyone who's concerned, you know, about their ability to have the family size that they desire is potentially a good candidate. But I think are the best candidates, you know, those would be either individuals that may be facing some type of exposure that can affect their fertility. So we have a great oncofertility, fertility preservation for patients with a medical indication. Like sometimes, unfortunately, women get diagnosed with breast cancer or other cancers, even in their 20s or 30s, sometimes even teens. And they're all different, you know, the effect of the cancer treatment, but some of them are known to have a significant effect on a woman's egg supply. And also there's often a period of time where it's recommended not to try to conceive or to be on hormone therapy for even years afterwards. So that those are situations where it's sort of like expedited and there's a short window and it's very clear cut. Like there's an opportunity to preserve eggs at a younger age. And there's a risk that, that, you know, those eggs are going to be depleted at a more rapid rate than normal aging. And she may not be able to try to get pregnant for a while. So that's, that's pretty clear cut in terms of the more elective. And I don't, I don't like that term really elective. You know, I think it's more like deferred, you know, deferred fertility. You know, that's, I think really the, the patient population you're asking about. And again, I think there's again not there's different opinions on it, but we we tend to see the biggest change in a woman's fertility in terms of her egg quality and quantity, really in the later 30s. So I mean, most people hear about 35 and they start to worry. And, and I mean, that's normal to worry as time goes by. But when you look at the quantity as measured by like follicle count and egg numbers that we can get. If we try to stimulate a woman's ovaries to freeze eggs or AMH as a marker of egg supply, and then maybe even more important quality, the chance that any given egg can actually fertilize normally, divide into an embryo, 
have the correct chromosome genetic makeup to make a healthy baby, those factors change much more rapidly in the late 30s and early 40s. So, you know, I think if, if a woman thinks that she might be attempting pregnancy in that age group, that's where she's going to be at a higher risk of having difficulty, maybe taking longer to get pregnant or experiencing miscarriage or even other types of abnormal pregnancies. So, you know, these are the kind of discussions that we have, like how old are you now? When do you think you might and you never know? Sometimes people do know and, you know, that's okay. Sometimes they don't know, but when, you know, might on like the high end or low end, you might be attempting pregnancy. How many children do you think? Again, and that also is fluid, as you know, but how many children do you think you might want? And so if you're, you know, at a certain age and you might want three children, you know, how old will you be? Even if you're fertile and have one or two without too much difficulty, now you might be in your 40s trying for a third child. And that's going to be really difficult. So, you know, a lot of this field early on was focused on just getting pregnant, having a baby. But now, you know, most couples want more individuals want two, maybe three, sometimes more children. And sometimes it's not possible, but there are ways to try to make it as, as possible, you know, as possible, basically. So those are the kinds of discussions. Also, you know, if there's a known, if you know it's likely that you're going to need fertility treatment, endometriosis is another condition that, you know, not quite like cancer and chemotherapy, but the condition itself can affect a woman's egg supply, sometimes the surgeries to treat it can affect the woman's egg supply. Also, the condition itself makes it more likely that a woman might need in vitro fertilization to conceive. You know, if if it's a couple and the male partner had testicular cancer and has sperm frozen and they're going to need to use assisted reproductive technologies, again, or there's a genetic indication if the couple knows they both carry cystic fibrosis in common. Again, this is if it's a couple. When it's a single person, they may not know that. But, you know, again, those are reasons where like if it's likely that you're going to be needing ART, you know, assisted reproductive technologies, IVF, then you can make an argument that, you know, you may be better off to get eggs when you're younger, when you can get more of them likely at a better quality. Well, and I, I, this is such a loaded label, but what if you're like a healthy woman, you get your period, you know, every 28 to 30 days, you're 30 years old and you're married and you don't think you want to have kids for like five to seven more years. Right. Would you recommend freezing your eggs in that, in that type of scenario? Or do you recommend like going to the doctor, like getting checked? Like how would you approach that? Yeah, that's a good scenario. So you know, that's a scenario where, again, we, you know, think about egg freezing, but I would also talk about embryo freezing because now this is a couple, they're committed, presumably they're planning to have children together, but not for a while. And again, there's not much difference between 30, 31, although there's always a gradual change. So if you had that same scenario and you said, they're going to wait a year, I'd probably say, I wouldn't push them to necessarily freeze eggs or embryos because she's going to be 31 when she starts trying. Even if she has some difficulty, you know, she'll be 32 again. And if, especially if she does some initial testing and everything looks normal, that's still a good prognosis. If she winds up needing treatment 
with a doctor like me. But if you're talking five to seven years, you know, now you're getting into that window 35 to 37, where if you spend six to 12 months and you don't get pregnant easily, you know, you're still, I think, you know, it's not too late. You're not too old. There's still options available, but you might have been better off having eggs from age 30 than from 37. And more importantly, you know, you mentioned plural. That's where it comes in. If they know that they only want one child, and that, of course, could change. Again, I might say you'll have a pretty good chance if everything looks normal. And even if you have difficulty after six months, you know, come back and we'll do everything we can. But if they might want two or three children, again, then if at 37, they get pregnant without much difficulty, by the time they deliver, they're approaching 38, you know, depending if, you know, she nurses, if they wait a year, she could be 39. Again, will she get pregnant easily and have a second child at 39? Or will she be seeing a doctor like me and our treatments can still work, but they work better in the early 30s than in the late 30s. And if she wants three children, she's probably going to be in her 40s. And again, some couples have three children, never need to see a doctor like me, but some experience miscarriage or have difficulty than are doing in vitro fertilization in their 40s where success rates are you know significantly lower than in the early 30s. So that that would be a couple that I think it would definitely be reasonable to think about. And if it would make it less stressful for them, you know, to delay, although it's never a guarantee because they they might not need those eggs. They might be fertile and have two children and never need those eggs. And that's okay. Cause again, the purpose was to achieve whatever family size they wanted. So if in the end they have two healthy children and they donate those eggs to research or discard them, I don't think that's like a failure or a waste. Again, they were not as worried, you know, during those years, there's a value to that, or maybe they'll think about a third child and they'll have those eggs. But, you know, there, again, there's a higher chance that they may need to use those eggs like and the longer that they wait. So that couple though, again, that would be a serious discussion though, if they said they want to do something because they are worried about having a second or third child in their late 30s or 40s, then I would have this, you know, discussion. Do you want to make embryos? Because the process for the female patient, the woman is very similar. Basically, a woman has all the eggs she's ever going to have when she's born, even before she's born. Then it's a gradual process of using them up. Some women use them up more quickly than others. Sometimes there's an, you know, an incident like surgery or medication that influences that. And we can get an, a rough assessment of a woman's ovarian reserve or egg supply by doing ultrasound, follicle count, AMH, and estradiol FSH on the second or third day if she has regular cycles. But AMH and follicle count probably the most reliable for quantity. And so like whatever, you know, whatever we could get out of a stimulation, it's not going to generally be better or higher years in the future. And so what what we do when we stimulate for either egg freezing or making embryos is that we take advantage of the fact that there's multiple follicles sitting in the ovary. And typically for women who have regular ovulatory cycles, they'll make 
FSH, follicle-stimulating hormones. So one of those follicles will emerge and become dominant and grow and then ovulate that one egg. And the other six or 10 or 20 will just sort of die off and you know, new ones will come through. And if we give more FSH, typically through injectable medication, we can get you know, six or 10 or more follicles to mature. And some of those will have good eggs. It's not like the one that naturally was selected is, is always the best or the only good one. And so whatever path we're going in the lab, she'll take these subcutaneous little needles, injections for eight to 10 nights, have monitoring visits to measure the follicles, measure hormone levels, prevent premature ovulation, and then finally trigger to mature the follicles to hopefully be able to get mature eggs in the lab. So that part is basically the same. The difference is if a woman's freezing her eggs that very day, the eggs are looked at more closely and they're frozen and she finds out how many mature eggs were frozen typically. If she's making embryos, she would need sperm either from a sperm donor or a partner and eggs and sperm could be combined together creating some fraction of them into embryos and then those embryos can grow in the lab and it's a big difference the egg is a very special cell it's the largest cell in the body sperm is the smallest cell actually and the embryo is basically the same size as the egg but it divides into individual cells and after five six sometimes seven days some of them will become what's called a blastocyst. These are good quality embryos. On average, about half of the ones that fertilize in, in most you know, labs that do a lot of in vitro fertilization, sometimes none of them, sometimes all of them. But those blastocysts have more than 100 tiny cells and we know more about them. So we know that that egg has developed into an embryo. We can talk about survival after thawing, but the embryos tend to have a higher chance of surviving intact. You can also learn about the genetics of the embryo that's not required, but many patients, especially if they're planning for years into the future, can find out if the embryo has a correct number of chromosomes. And if it does, you know, then we know not only did it fertilize and develop and make a blastocyst, but also one that has at least the correct building block chromosome number to make a baby and we just have more information, but those eggs are committed. You know, so if that couple gets divorced, that woman may never use those embryos. So just because you're married doesn't mean you can't freeze eggs. There's some doctors like me that, that recommend egg freezing regardless of relationship status. I mean, I think couples or you know, individuals should have you know, the information and make decisions and some choose eggs because again, they may never need them. If they don't, they feel more comfortable discarding eggs, maybe if there's any relationship or other, you know, changes, those are her eggs. She can use them however she wants. Others want to know more certainty that, you know, what if those eggs don't thaw as well, don't develop as well. If we know we have viable, normal embryos, it's never a guarantee, but we have, again, more information and they're willing to, you know, commit to a partner. And some Less common will even do both and freeze some as eggs and some as embryos if there's a high number in one cycle or even do more than one cycle. 
make embryos, make sure their, their eggs can fertilize, can develop, and then also have eggs, you know, just in case there's a relationship change. So that's what I mean in terms of like, you know, egg freezing. It's not all egg freezing. It should be a discussion about fertility preservation. And, you know, if you're not ready to commit your eggs to a specific sperm, then egg freezing is the best option. You know, if you're committed, egg freezing still might be the best option, but embryo freezing is also an option. And then there are some single women that may even think about attempting pregnancy, you know, on their own, you know, with the use of donor sperm. That's another option that we help manage. But you know what's crazy though to me now that you were saying like relationship change. Sorry, Jordan, that you haven't gotten a word in yet. But what if someone's like divorced? Like what sorry, what if someone's happily married, then they freeze all these embryos and then they get divorced five years later? Then like do you like fight over those in court? Like, oh, those are my embryos. Like those are my embryos. Like, what do you do? I mean, I mean, typically there's, you know, consents, you know, up front, but okay. And it can vary from state to state. So it's not a one size fits all. And you know, there was a case in California where a, a woman, a couple froze embryos before breast cancer diagno- you know, treatment, and then they did divorce and she wanted to use those embryos as her only chance to have a child genetically from her eggs. Oh, and God. the the ex-husband you know, didn't agree to that and the court ruled that she couldn't use them. So typically oh. we view them as like the couple together. We don't have consent from both then we most clinics would not thaw and use the embryos unless both partners agree i mean if something happens if one partner passes away then you know hopefully they've made their wishes known like they would want the other partner to use the embryos and that's different is there a different success rate between freezing the egg or freezing the embryo like does one thaw better and there might be potential better success yeah. So again, I mean, I think there's different views on this and there's some, I think, who make it seem as if like there is no difference with freezing eggs. But, you know, I work closely with our lab and the technology has gotten much better and it's amazing. And again, it's still much better to have eggs frozen from a younger age where they're more likely to be genetically normal and better quality. But I still believe there's some impact and we know that when we go to warm those eggs, maybe years later, we don't expect a hundred percent survival. It's somewhere usually 85 to 90%. So right from the beginning, we lose some eggs. So if there were 20, we might expect 17 to survive. Hopefully that's still a good number. But again, if you had sperm that very day, you could try to fertilize all 20 mature eggs, for example. So right off the bat, there's some attrition. And that's a theme, like in IVF, there's attrition, you know, at every stage. You know, then fertilization. And this is something also that, you know, is not that talked about. But when we freeze eggs and thaw them, we then have to use a technique called ICSI or intracytoplasmic sperm injection which is used a lot. Some clinics do ICSI 100% of their IVF cycles. This is a technique that was developed in the early 1990s, really for men with like severe male factor, very low sperm counts. In the early days of IVF in 1980s, 
if there was very low sperm numbers, those couples still might not be able to achieve viable embryos, even with IVF, fertilization might not happen. But we learned that you could inject one sperm into each mature egg and fertilization could happen. And that's been really refined. And about 80% of the time in, in most labs, you achieve fertilization with ICSI. But if the sperm is perfectly normal, you don't, you know, or just normal quality, normal motility, you don't technically have to do ICSI, even though, again, some labs do it 100% of the time and feel like it's just more efficient or, you know, minimizes the risk of none of them fertilizing, which is a very rare, but, you know, really tragic outcome if it happens to you. And so there's there's a debate in our field, like, do we overuse ICSI? Do we use it more than, than we need to in situations where it's not a male factor? With frozen eggs, we do ICSI. We believe like it kind of causes like the outer part of the egg to harden and and fertilization would be lower without ICSI. When you're fertilizing the eggs fresh, you don't have to do ICSI. Again, although in many situations we do. So from that point, that 10 to 15% of eggs that didn't survive the warming, then fertilization several studies suggest it's still very good, but it may be slightly lower than with fresh eggs. Instead of 80%, it might be 75%. It's still very good. And if you have enough to start out with, like you're going to still do well. The next step, the blastocyst development, I think also is a little bit less efficient than when the egg was not previously frozen. So if we expect 50% blastocyst, from an egg that was fresh and fertilized and grows, it might be 40%. It's still really good, better than labs used to be decades ago. But again, I think there is some eggs are sensitive and there's some impact. Again, so if you're starting with a real, if you're starting with 20 and 17, you know, survive warming and 12 fertilize and four or five make blastocysts, the genetics, the chance that those blastocysts are normal, whether you test them or not, that's based on the age of the egg. And so if it was from early 30s, you know, majority of them are expected to be normal. And at that point, those embryos that reach the blastocyst stage, they seem to have just as good of a chance of implanting and making a baby and being healthy and not having any effects from having been a frozen egg. But I think you can expect fewer blastocysts, fewer high quality embryos than if you fertilize them fresh. But the other thing is that there's there's more variability. Like you really just don't know is a hundred are a hundred percent of them going to survive? Sometimes 50% of them survive. Like on average, it's 85%. But there's so many variables that go into it and you just don't know that. And if it's done at a time many years in the future, there's not an opportunity to go back and you'll know, get more eggs from that younger age. And so when thinking about like, you know, the next question that often like, who are the right candidates for this? You know, another common question is how many eggs should I have frozen? And that's not an easy question to answer because you're not, you might not know how they're going to do. We don't have, we can give again, general estimates and predictions, but ultimately when it comes time to throw your, your eggs, you don't get like a do-over to get more of them. So if anything, I you know prefer to err on the side of more if you really think you're going to need them. We know a lot of women that freeze their eggs wind up maybe not needing them. And 
you know, a lot of women have not come back to use them yet. So that's sort of the things that we're balancing in this field. Do we recommend every woman freeze her eggs? And then, you know, most of them probably won't need them. You know, or do we target it for those that are more likely to need them? And then how many should they try to freeze? If you really want to, you know, maximize your chances to some extent, the more you have from even more than one cycle gives you more chances that they're going to survive well and fertilize and develop and ultimately implant and hopefully make a healthy child or two or three. What's a number that a patient should feel good about when if like they are doing this process and say they are doing egg freezing? What like I would have no idea how many eggs to even look for. So it really depends a lot on the age at the time, right? Because the chance that any given egg is quote unquote good quality or you know has the ability to divide its chromosomes normally there's a huge difference if you're in your late 20s early 30s or late 30s early 40s so someone in like her early 30s again we expect maybe three quarters of the eggs to be chromosomally genetically normal and they tend to you know be better quality on average than eggs from a woman in her early 40s. So there there are even calculators online that you know estimate from different studies but you know around 12 eggs gives according to these calculators maybe even a 90% chance to have a live a single live birth from that group of eggs for a woman in her early 30s. You know even 6 eggs gets you over like 50-50 mark probably. And again, I, I always recommend being a little bit conservative and whatever these calculators spit out, maybe try to get a little more than that to be safe. Because again, there's there's these unknown variables. But I think 12, 12 eggs or more for someone in a relatively young reproductive age is very good. And if you have 15, 16, just even more confidence. But by the time you're age 40, a majority of the eggs are expected to be chromosomally abnormal by the time they mature and fertilize and maybe a lower proportion of them even survive warming and develop into blastocysts so having 12 eggs at age 40 that may be just enough to get to about 50 50 actually maybe not even i think you actually need more like 20 eggs to get to about 50 50 chance the challenging thing though is that you know, as you get older, not only does the chance of them being genetically abnormal increase, but you expect fewer of them because remember, you're using up your egg supply, your ovarian reserve is declining. So you might be able to get 20 eggs when you're 30, but then by the time you're 40, you might get 10 of them, which again, 10 eggs would be really good at age 30, but by age 40, that doesn't even give you a 50-50 chance that they're going to give you a baby if you need to use them. That's still, again, it's still better than nothing. If you, more years go by, it only gets more difficult. So I'm not saying that someone at age 40 who's in a position where she's not ready to have a baby or have a partner and make embryos shouldn't do it. I think she should, but you should have realistic expectations and know that it takes a pretty high number to feel really confident and it's never going to be certain and it just it may not be possible to reach that number 
or you may have to do multiple cycles to try to reach that number. And that, that may be possible, you know, physically, financially, it might not be. So if someone is on the proactive side and comes to you like in their late twenties or early thirties, how long are the eggs or embryos able to stay frozen for until they should be used? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. You know, it's amazing that, you know, even these eggs, you know, follicles are sitting in a woman's ovary and why do they, you know, change so much that the ones that are released, you know, 10 years later are so much more likely to be abnormal. Is it just like exposure to things, you know, in the environment, in the ovary that changes, you know, how these eggs and, and by somehow keeping them frozen in liquid nitrogen, that doesn't happen. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think about, but there's pretty good evidence that that is true. That like when you thaw those eggs, even years later, like they behave genetically like they were at the time they were frozen. And as far as we know, there's not really like a timetable on it. And there have been babies born from eggs that have been frozen for, I mean, again, the technology of egg freezing has changed and vitrification, which is this rapid freezing and warming has really only been used a lot over the last 10 years. So I can't necessarily say there's a lot of babies from eggs that have been frozen for like 20 years, but there have been babies born from embryos that were frozen for 15, 20, even more years and from eggs that have, that were frozen for definitely more than five years. So as long as they're maintained, you know, in the right environment. And again, each lab or storage facility should have really good, you know, quality control measures, alarms on tanks and multiple different, you know, checkpoints to make sure that at all times the frozen material is submerged in liquid nitrogen or nitrogen vapor that's basically in this temperature that they're literally frozen in time. We don't think it changes you know, even over several years. So that again, really allows that individual to sort of pause things and, you know, come back to use them when she's ready and just hope that again, it goes well from there. Once you freeze your eggs or once you decide to freeze your eggs, are there different storage options or there's only one way to freeze? Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, from a patient perspective, it's typically either the clinic or laboratory has their own sort of storage facility on site and maintains the eggs and or embryos there. And that's a model that is very common and that clinic will bill you, you know, annually, for example, you know, or there are like long-term offsite storage options if a lab doesn't have space for that, or it's it may be less expensive per year if you know it's going to be many years. So sometimes they get shipped to a long-term like cryobank that can keep them for years at maybe a fraction of the cost. But then you have to, you know, transport them there, transport them back. And some clinics do that automatically. So I think that's something you should ask about because you may not even know, oh, I thought my eggs were in New York, but they're actually in Massachusetts or something like that. And that's, I mean, okay, but it is another layer that, you know, someone physically has to take these straws with the frozen material, put them in another little like doer, like this kind of thermos device with liquid nitrogen 
ship them, you know, then unpack them, put them into another doer there. And again, we do this all the time and sperm is shipped. There's egg banks. I mean, there's very reliable ways to do this, but it is a tiny risk that's there. So you should at least know if that's going to happen. Or some, some people will actively choose to move their material somewhere else to have a lower cost. And then like in this field, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of, you know, innovation and companies and, and there's um, a company called Tomorrow that is sort of marketing, like basically like they have a robot that sort of like maintains the inventory and kind of take over the cryo storage for a lab where you could either send the material there and they have tanks and barcodes on the the frozen material you know or they can put one of their like kind of storage repositories in that clinic's lab so there's different models out there but the most common is that it's frozen at a lab it stays there when the time comes most in our field like recommend thawing them at the lab where they were frozen not moving them back and forth or that lab is most familiar with the type of device that was used to freeze because it's not all the same. I mean, there's different types of devices that the eggs or embryos can be frozen on. And most embryologists are comfortable using different types. But again, that's something where generally it's, you know, recommended to keep the eggs or thaw them where they were made, where they were frozen. And is there like a recommended age that you suggest um, a woman who has frozen her eggs or embryo use them by um, so that, to ensure that well, that's a good know, question able to carry. So, I mean, amazingly, like a woman's ability to carry a pregnancy doesn't change like nearly as much as the ability to produce eggs that are, you know, viable to achieve a pregnancy. And so we know that because even before egg freezing was a viable option, egg donation has been around. And if we look at like success rates when when a woman goes through IVF and tries to stim now she's not preserving, like maybe she's experiencing infertility and she's trying to stimulate follicles to grow, to get eggs, to make embryos, to transfer embryos back, to try to get pregnant now, the success rate declines significantly with age. Again, paralleling what I mentioned earlier, late 30s, early 40s, by mid 40s, dropping to like near zero. But if that same patient gets eggs donated by a woman, usually in her 20s, that's screened to be, you know, healthy and normal, either those eggs freshly retrieved in the lab or now the same egg freezing technology that we've been talking about there are egg banks that will freeze eggs from a donor and a woman in her mid forties or even late forties could receive those eggs, thaw them, fertilize them, make embryos, transfer embryo. Success rates are you know, amongst the highest, you know, anyone doing IVF. So as long as the uterus stays normal, and that's something we, you know, check. And as long as she's, you know, healthy enough to carry a pregnancy and deliver, there's not, again, I can't say there's no change, but there's not the same type of decline in success. So there's different policies. Some clinics will not 
attempt pregnancy in a woman over age 50. The American Society for Reproductive Medicine says it's acceptable up to age 55. Again, there should be, you know, really good pre-pregnancy testing and counseling with maternal fetal medicine, high-risk pregnancy. But if a woman's very healthy and her uterus is normal, she can safely get pregnant from eggs that she froze, you know, even if she's approaching 50, even, even a couple or a few years beyond that. And we've done that successfully and it's pretty amazing. I mean, those are the situations where you know, like this woman would not have been able to have a child, you know, had she yeah. not frozen eggs or embryos and she's able to navigate it safely. And it's, yeah, it's really amazing. It's possible. So, I mean, again, somewhere between 50 and 55, you know, is kind of maybe the upper limit of where it gets hard to find a clinic that will be willing to do this unless you're using like a gestational carrier or surrogate. Um, but probably, I mean, the mid to late 40s is, you know, the more common age that women are coming to use them if they haven't been able to achieve a pregnancy any other way. And that's also an age where you might go right to these eggs. Again, like I often tell my patients, if that couple, you know, freezes their eggs at age 30 and is waiting five to seven years, we're not going to probably automatically go to those eggs in five to seven years. They might try on their own for six months. Or even if they have difficulty then and they come see me, I'm usually not going to say, let's go right to these eggs. Again, we might, like if they want one child, if she doesn't want to take any other medication, but we might say, you're still in an age group where our treatments work well. Let's see if we can achieve a live birth, you know, using your current eggs and save those when it will only be more difficult if you want a second or a third child. But if you come if you see me when you're 45 and you have frozen eggs, like I'm going to recommend that like first line because our treatments other than that are not very successful at all, unfortunately. What is the success rate of freezing your eggs and then being able to <laughs> implant them once you like, you know, make the embryo? What is the success rate of getting pregnant? Again, that part seems to be like similar to whether that egg was originally, you know, fertilized, fresh or frozen. So if you can get it to the point that it makes a normal blastocyst, those typically have around a 60% chance to make a baby. So again, sometimes none of them make it to a good quality embryo stage. But if you can make a good quality embryo, 50 to 60% chance. And if you can make multiple, you know, good quality embryos, each one can be attempted, you know, individually could be even higher than that. But again, that all sort of gets put in, that's what gets put into these calculators. How old were you when you froze? How many did you freeze? What's the expected survival, fertilization, blastocyst rate, proportion that are expected to be normal? And of those, what proportion of those make a baby? And that's how you get you know, from maybe eight eggs at age 30, about a 75% chance to have a baby because you're expecting, you're expecting to make like two good embryos. And was, is that the same as IVF once the embryos are, are made, the success rate? Yeah. So that's again, so once you have like a good quality blastocyst that was frozen on day five or six, and if we did a biopsy and 
what we call pre-implantation genetic testing, if we determined it was normal, or again, if you didn't test it, but but it just is normal, those have about a 60% chance to make a baby. Okay. So again, at, at that point, it's pretty similar. It's just that sort of from mature egg to normal embryo to baby, like the slope is a little bit steeper, I think, when using frozen eggs, which is often glossed over. Like I like to be transparent. I think it's real. Again, it's still, again, you're still much better off having eggs from when you were 30, even if you're going to lose some of them than trying to, you know, work with eggs when you're 40. But we should be, I think, transparent that whatever number of embryos that would have made if you fertilize them fresh that day, we can expect a little bit fewer by having frozen and then thawed them because some eggs just have some effect from that. But again, if you did fertilize and make those embryos and and again, and then decided not to have a baby with that sperm source, it's down to zero. So it's still, for most women, egg freezing winds up being the best option to give them the most autonomy over, you know, again, their desired timing, family size, partner. What is the average cost to freeze your eggs? So, you know, there's different components to it. There's the ultrasounds and blood work. There's the anesthesia, the egg retrieval, and then the freezing. And then there's the medication. So I think that, you know, the the treatment part is probably around eight to $10,000. And then the medications depends. Some women use like, you know, lower, moderate doses. Some women require higher doses. Sometimes it's only seven or eight nights. Sometimes it's 11 or 12 nights. You know, that can probably vary from three to $5,000 or maybe even a little bit more. So probably somewhere like 10 to $15,000 with medications. And then annual storage can be roughly $100 a month, sometimes less, again, in these long-term storage facilities. Um, and then when it comes time to use those eggs, you know, then you have to thaw them do ICSI, grow embryos. Sometimes people don't calculate that. That's going to be a cost, but that will be years later. And maybe at that time, the couple or that woman has infertility and maybe maybe insurance will cover that part of it if they didn't cover the egg freezing part. Some, you know, many traditional insurances don't cover egg freezing because it's viewed as elective. It's more likely if there's a cancer diagnosis and there's certain grants and organizations that help with that. There are some, like there's some technology and other companies that have really great benefits where egg freezing or embryo freezing for a couple is a covered benefit. You don't have to justify it. It could just be because you're deferring. Um, So that really varies. So you should look into your benefit and you might be surprised it might be covered. And then there's maybe minimal out-of-pocket costs. The other important thing that comes up is this does not affect a woman's future fertility. Even if we freeze 20 eggs, it's not like we're using up those eggs quicker, which I think some people assume. Remember, those follicles would have died off. New ones would have come through. We're just sort of rescuing the ones that are there, helping them mature, getting the eggs and freezing them. It does not affect the age you would go through menopause. It doesn't affect your ability to have a pregnancy without assistance if you wind up trying. So 
it's still a process. I mean, there's multiple visits. There can be side effects. Retrieving eggs, you know, is a procedure. There's a very small risk of bleeding, injury, infection, but less than 1%. So it's not, you know, nothing, but it's very safe in the short term and the long term. Do you have any tips for families that like can't afford to freeze their eggs or undergo this process? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, lobbying your employer, you know, because I think it winds up not adding as much cost as everyone would assume. It might even, you know, there's some analyses, it might even save in the long run and, you know, help people be less stressed and plan their family accordingly. So some employers, you know, may be open to adding a benefit like progenies, this fertility benefit manager that that typically includes egg freezing and and also um, embryo freezing and genetic testing of embryos or carrot, or there's several other, you know, add-on fertility benefits um, or certain states have mandates that certain employers that have certain numbers of employees may have a requirement to cover, although quote unquote elective egg and embryo freezing often doesn't fall within that. There are some grants. I mean, I wish there were more, but there are some nonprofit organizations that will fund some individuals do in vitro fertilization less often for egg freezing, more often it's for infertility. But again, I mean the other thing I would say is, you know, you know, get in from information. You know, there's no like number, even if AMH comes back low, that doesn't mean your eggs are bad. That doesn't mean you won't be able to get pregnant, you know, without assistance. So I mean, information, I'm always in favor of it and more is better, but also know the limitations of it. And we're not very good at predicting, you know, future fertility. Even if, even if an attempt at egg freezing doesn't go well and a woman gets fewer eggs than she might have thought or hoped, that doesn't mean that they're not good quality. That doesn't mean that she's not going to be able to get pregnant, you know, without assistance if she has that opportunity in the future. By the same token, if you get a really good number of eggs, again, it doesn't mean you're definitely going to work out, you know, perfectly or that you're more fertile, you know, just do the best you can. And sometimes again, situations change, keep up to date with your, your insurance, look for grants. And yeah, I think that's the best, you know, best advice thing I have. Is there anything about the egg freezing or even embryo freezing process that you want to debunk? For listeners, or like, you know, have you ever noticed a lot of people come in with preconceived notions about this? Like, yeah, I mean, one, I think, which I've tried to, which again, I, I'm a big proponent of egg freezing. I think it's amazing, but I think there's a perception that it's just as good. And I think there is an impact. Like, we just have to be real about that, that sometimes we go to thaw the eggs and they don't survive as well as we hope. They don't develop as well. And we'll never know would they have done better if they were fertilized fresh, but at least you get that information in real time and you can maybe try again if you knew. So we really, you know, can't guarantee or don't know how they're going to do. So within, you know, your ability, you know, the more you have, the better your chances are going to be. Um, so I think that would be sort of one myth to debunk. It's not, we're not, our technology is amazing, but it's not perfect. It's not the same. And even fertilizing fresh eggs is far from perfect. So we sometimes see a couple where 
we think they're a great prognosis for IVF and it doesn't go well. And again, so freezing those eggs wouldn't make them better and finding that out five years later, that's difficult. So just keep that in mind. And again, think also that, you know, that IVF or egg freezing, you know, can't fix everything. I think there's some who think, you know, even if I'm in my forties, I'll be able to do IVF and it'll work. It, you know, it gets very challenging and we do our best and some often we're able to overcome these challenges, but you know, there, there definitely is an impact and success rates change over time. And then if someone's not in the New York area and they can't come to see you or go to your office, what are some things that someone should look for in a provider that you think is definitely on like the, the leading part of this process? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, most clinics report our data to the government, to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC. There's an organization called SART, S-A-R-T, that sort of, you know, collects that data for us and they do a great job and you can actually look at clinic success rates. But when it comes to egg freezing, a lot of the eggs are still sitting frozen and haven't really been thawed. It's hard to really get granular data on success of, of egg thaws. More, you know, more donor egg thaws are becoming more common. So, you know, I think a center that reports to SART prospectively reports their cycles, doesn't sort of hide cycles. That's experienced with frozen donor egg banks and reports those data and has good outcomes and, you know, has a track record of freezing eggs, thawing and, and making babies. I mean, that's, those are some of the things to look at. It's helpful. I mean, I found, I found Dr. Foreman on Google. You had good Google reviews. I did. I found you on Google, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, Google, Fertility IQ. I mean, so yeah, you want to have, you want to have a, connection, a connection with your doctor and, you know, feel like it's someone that you, you know, is on your side and advocating for you and trying to figure out the best plan and you're in it together. But then they also have to be part of a good system and a good lab and maintain your material, you know, in safe conditions. There's a lot of good options, but also now with like Zoom, you know, technology, you could, you know, see doctors in other locations. And we have patients who, you know, lived in New York and moved out of the area, you know, just happens. And we've had patients, you know, come back and had patients move to other countries and, you know, thaw their eggs, make embryos, come back for transfer. So sometimes people assume if I'm going to move, I have to move my eggs but usually we talk and say, it might make more sense. You know, we're in New York. It's easy to come here. We can keep everything here and you could just come in and you can do monitoring in other places. So there's a lot of different models now. There's someone I follow on Instagram that's been going through fertility treatment for like years now and cannot get pregnant. And they live in Florida, I believe. And they fly up to New York like every like month or so to see like a doctor up there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think also like you can always, yeah, it's, it's doable. Yeah. Well, everyone, well, you're going to not probably like me if I say this, but everyone who's like local <laughs> in the New York metropolitan area has to call Dr. Foreman. I did hear you have a wait list for patients right now. I don't know if that's true, but someone had messaged me saying that they wanted to know if I can get them on a, <laughs> off of a wait list to see you. Well, I would I say we, good. I mean, you were at our practice, right. And, um, we have, a zoo. We, we, 
a zoo in like a good way though oh my gosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you it's uh, i walked in and i was like hugging and kissing everyone it's like i will i love the people I'm that work saying, there we have now 14 doctors all amazing wow. with different different interests you know some that are more focused on fertility preservation some that are really focused on reproductive surgery pre-implantation genetic testing onco fertility recurrent pregnancy loss same-sex couple so so you don't have to i mean i would love to see all of your patients all of your <laughs> followers but we have again a great team and we work together and i can't do everything myself even if i'm your doctor you'll meet yeah. our sonographers our phlebotomists we have amazing nurses and embryologists so it takes a whole team you have to feel comfortable with your doctor but also like the system the center and so um yeah i think that's great advice yeah. and columbia and in, order, in order to provide like the individualized care like there's just a limit you know if you have too many patients then i don't know that i could provide that same level that i would like to no not with the level of care and attention that you give to all your patients but also like to your point that you just said you know you were my doctor but like we had uh, four IUIs over the course of the time that I, no, no, probably like six before, during, for doing that. And if you're, and you only did one of them, like I had every like, other doctors that I would see, you know what I mean? Like I got to be friends with like everyone. I mean, yeah. I do, I do yeah. miss my friends though. Like I heard saw it was Gertrude's birthday. So I commented on her birthday. <laughs> I hope she saw it. But so pimp yourself out, tell everyone where they could find you. Tell them about your Instagram. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I should be better at doing that. So Eric Foreman, MD, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can visit our website at www.columbiafertility.org. And you can see profiles on all of our doctors, schedule appointments there, or call us at 646-756-8282. Yeah. Again, or find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Not on TikTok yet, but... Well, TikTok might not exist by the time this uh, podcast comes out. Thanks, Dr. Yeah, Foreman. Dr. Foreman. Yeah. All right. It was great to talk to you guys. 